as we stand, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you as we've sung that it has the power to break hard and stony ground. We pray that you would indeed give us the food that we need for our souls as we hear your voice now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please do sit. And do turn to uh, page 635. As we look at this next bit of chapter 1 in Proverbs. Six three five. What do you think real, genuine wisdom looks like? What do you think the freedom that comes from wisdom looks like? Freedom is a, a, a positive word in the world today. Think of Nelson Mandela with his long walk to freedom, the autobiography. I think a lot of what's going on in our culture today is about the claim that we should be free to do whatever we want and to be whoever we want to be, we can be free. What a wonderful thing, we think. Think of the, uh, the, the number of music artists who've released a song with the name Freedom in the last 50 years. I can think of six. You may be able to think of others. Um, there was one by Jimi Hendrix, 1971. There was one by Wham! in 1984. Uh, slightly confusingly, George Michael then left Wham! and uh, released another song called Freedom, Solo, in 1990. Same name, but completely different song. Uh, then uh, Paul McCartney, probably slightly less well-known, in 2001, Freedom. Beyonce in uh, 2016. And just last year, Farrell Williams. Six completely different songs about freedom. Which is your favourite? You can tell me afterwards. I think my favourite is probably George Michael's. And um, the, uh, Robbie Williams released a cover of it in uh, 1996. And Robbie Williams always fascinates me because he does, he, the things that he does in his life and the songs that he writes, they always say something about him. It's not just sort of meaningless lyrics. It's always something, um, saying something. And, and it, what was he saying as he released his first solo single as he left after he left take that what was he saying about himself and his life he was saying finally i'm leaving behind the kind of constraints of the boy band past with you know the rules of take that which were uh, no drink no drugs no girls and finally he was free to do whatever he wanted and he was clearly kind of searching. He was looking for something. You can see that in his lyrics. So, uh, Eternity. Do you remember that song? Maybe, maybe it's familiar. I hope you find your freedom for eternity, he sang. And where did all that get him? What did he find? Well, arguably, it, it got him not freedom, but slavery. Slavery to substances. He was soon admitted for the first of many times to a drug rehab clinic. He became a slave to the opinions of his fans. He talks about it openly in, his, in, in, in various interviews and things. He became a slave to an endless succession of destructive relationships. Um, in his song, Feel, he wrote, Before I fall in love, I'm preparing to leave her. You know, that, that search for intimacy, but he just recognised that he was 
struggling to find it. Now, I don't know whether that resonates with you. It slightly depends on whether you've kind of grown up listening to Robbie or not. Uh, he's still going, isn't he? Unbelievably, he's, he's 43, um, 43 years old now, but he, he did release an album at the end of last year. I listened to it once. It was okay. Uh, but his life puts on display in a rather public way what actually so many human beings um, experience, which is that we kind of think, oh, this, this is what's going to give me freedom, and I think I've found it. Uh, freedom from whatever constraint we thought was ruining our life. And we think, finally, I've got it. And then it turns out we're even more constrained than we were before. So whether it's the desperate affair that ends a marriage, but also itself ends in despair and disillusionment, or whether it's uh, constantly jumping between relationships or between jobs, thinking, you know, finally, this one is going to deliver what all the other ones haven't. And then you're disappointed again. Or is it as simple as just setting your heart on a new phone, a new tablet, whatever gadget it might be? You know, you think, if I get this, it will change everything. My life will be somehow just made that little bit more complete. It's worth that extra bit of money every month that I can't quite afford, but I'm going to be free. I'm going to feel free. But after the initial buzz it never quite delivers what it promises Christmas is a bit like that isn't it we can say that now we're safely the other side of it but there's you know there's that huge build-up of expectations and then often a total anti-climax because actually the family is still the same family and the gifts aren't quite as good as was thought and earlier this week we had the first working Monday of January which sadly has been dubbed divorce day because it's the day the divorce lawyers see a big surge in inquiries following the Christmas break. You know, where are human beings going to find real, genuine, lasting freedom? Well, if you're, if you're a Christian, I expect at that point you kind of know what you think the right Christian answer to that question is going to be. And you're thinking, well, yeah, it's going to have something to do with Jesus, isn't it? That's, that's what Christians believe. But let me point out two things to us here. So, so the first is this, how, how preposterous that sounds in the 21st century to most unbelievers. You, know, you mean to say that the solution to our problems has got something to do with a guy who lived 2,000 years ago in another culture, another era, and more than that, whenever Christians talk about Jesus, it's soon followed by an invitation to church. And frankly, church is the opposite of freedom. You know, it's rules and it's constraints and it's conformity and organised religion. And if I'm a right-thinking 21st century human being, it's not even going to cross my mind that following Jesus might have anything to do with freedom. It's just ridiculous. And actually, beyond that, many secularists and humanists say, well, it's not just ridiculous, it's dangerous now in, in this day and age to dabble with Christianity so that's the first thing we need to bear in mind if we're going to say Jesus is where we find freedom. The, the, the second thing is this. Do we actually believe that ourselves? If we're Christians? You know, genuinely. Or do we in our hearts look at our, our unbelieving friends and colleagues and think deep down, I wish I could be a little bit like them. 
I'd get my Sunday back for a start. I, you know, I could just be the boss. I can run my life how I like. No more sacrifices of time and money. You know, I can just um, do whatever I want. That is freedom. And even though I'm not supposed to be, I, I feel a little bit jealous of that. Well, if any of that feels a little bit familiar, we need to hear the father talking to his son in this section of Proverbs we've just heard. We need to hear then Lady Wisdom's call in the streets. Remember, chapters 1 to 9 are like a manifesto for wisdom. It's as if we're on a path, a journey through life with voices calling us in different directions. And all kinds of voices are trying to call us off the path, down byways and apparent shortcuts. But wisdom's voice is the voice we need to listen to. And in this passage, first the father and then wisdom herself, personified as a lady calling out in the street, both, both the father and wisdom address the issue of what real, genuine freedom looks like. And you can see that in the two headings on the green um, sheet that we've got. If you have a look. So first, the father and the, to the son says, sin looks like freedom, but it brings disaster in the end. And then secondly, wisdom calling out in the street. Wisdom looks constraining, but it brings life to the full. Let's look at the first of those. Sin looks like freedom, but brings disaster in the end. From verses 8 to 19. If you have a look at verse 8, this is a father talking to his son. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. It's a helpful reminder to any of us who are parents, who are uh, grandparents, godparents. Or, or maybe might be in the future. Because Proverbs is really big on the need for, 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 for the young to have proper guidance. It's not just a case of delivering the kids to Sunday school and after school clubs and crossing our fingers and it will turn out fine. But it's about seeking to create a culture, whether that's in our home, if we're parents, or whether it's just in the way that we, we relate to young people, if it's in other contexts. So where, where we can have these big conversations about life as children grow up. And what does the father want to say to his son? Well, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Verse 10, basically, don't join a violent gang. So, son, when people say to you, you know, hey, we're thinking of going down the park today and, and hiding behind a tree and jumping out on passers-by and mugging them. You know, when people say that, son... Don't do it. And we hear that and we think, okay, interesting. Um, is that the first thing I'd say to a child growing up in northwest London? Well, maybe it should be. But actually, when you think about it, violence and going with the crowd cover a much wider range of activities than straightforward membership of a gang like this. So, so think about it. It, it, it. It's basically giving in to temptation to go with the crowd in order to exploit other people for personal gain in some way. So it's, uh, it's gossipy slander with colleagues in the canteen behind somebody's back. It's uh, fiddling expenses because, you know, everyone in the office agrees it's perfectly normal. You know, no one's ever going to check. This is what we do here. Just, just go along with it. It's fine. Do you remember the beginning of wisdom last week, if you were here? The, the beginning of wisdom, verse 7, is to fear the Lord. But what is going with the crowd? It is fearing people. Fearing people instead of fearing the Lord. Well, what's the problem with doing that? Verse 
17, the, the, the father goes on, it's spreading a net in full view of the birds. Now, I don't know what you're like at bird catching. It's not, maybe not, we're not experts, but this is not how you catch birds. You don't put a big net out where they can see it uh, because then the birds fly off and go somewhere else and you don't get them. So what the point he's saying is, is what you're doing here is self-defeating. And worse than that, it turns out the trap these people set ends up catching them. They ambush only themselves. Now, it slightly reminds me of a, of a, a rather poor joke about the inflatable boy who takes a pin to his inflatable school. And uh, what does his inflatable teacher say to him? It's kind of predictable. You've let me down. You've let the school down. And worst of all, you've let yourself down. You've let yourself down. That is the kind of thing we say, isn't it? You're only hurting yourself, we say. It kind of gets trotted out when things go wrong at school or whatever. But actually, there, there is a deeper truth here, isn't there? Because, because actually what this is getting at is that sin always has disastrous consequences for the sinner. And it, that may be in different ways. It, it, it's dangerous and deadly because there will be a day when God sets everything right. A day of judgment, which we'll hear particularly more about in the second half of this passage. But actually that judgment can also come earlier than that. In, just in the results of our sin, even during our lives. So, um, some sort of slightly, some more, in some ways, trivial examples of this. You know, think of YouTubers desperate for high, higher viewing numbers. And they do things like they record videos of themselves committing crimes and put them up on YouTube to kind of get the number of likes up. Which is great for the police, isn't it? Because they come along and it, they've got the evidence there straight in front of them. Thanks very much for videoing yourself doing this crime because now we can arrest you. We don't even have to go and prove it. And apparently, I saw the last couple of days, the latest thing on YouTube is uploading videos of yourself chewing washing machine detergent capsules. Exactly. <laughs> Don't do it, kids. It's a really bad idea. It's deadly. You swallow it, you know, it's going to... And, and, and in fact, one or two people sadly have died doing this. But it's a really, really bad idea. Obviously, when they do it, they sort of spit it out. But this is... It is poisonous. It's a really silly thing to do. They are ambushing, ambushing themselves. That's the kind of warning that he's laying out. And the thing is, we kind of, um, you know, we, we, we hear about people doing things like that and we think how silly. But actually, what the father is saying to his son is that all sin is like that. All sin leads in that way to us ambushing ourselves. And when you think about it, of course, going with the crowd instead of fearing God always ends in this kind of way, in disaster. Because it's a form of false community, isn't it? You know, it looks like you're being offered safety and security, being accepted and loved by the in-group, whoever that is. But the premise of getting into the group goes like this. Help us slit his throat, help us do him in, or whatever it is. But of course, we'll get, we're going to take care of you. You know, join us in our gossip and slander. But of course, we're never going to talk behind your back when you're not here. 
But the thing is, a relationship founded on lies and deceit like that can never last. And we know that through experience, don't we? You go, you, you, you think, oh, I'm, I'm in with these people, and then you discover one day that you're not. And when the opinion of people is greater than our opinion of God and weighs more heavily on us in the way that we make decisions and who we want to hang out with, when people are big and God is small, as the title of a, an excellent book puts it, when that's the case, we are founding our lives and our relationships on a lie, which is that what God says doesn't matter. And the father says to his son, don't fall into that trap. He's not saying that because he wants to make his son miserable. He's saying it as a loving father. Son, don't go that way. Listen to me. Is that how we hear God saying it to us? Sin looks like freedom, but it brings disaster in the end. That's the first thing. And then secondly, the second half of the passage, verses 20 to 33, wisdom looks constraining, but brings life to the full. So now we, we turn to wisdom personified as this lady calling out in the street. And this is just reminding us, you know, wisdom, the Christian life, if you like, isn't just for the private sphere of relationships in the home between parents and child. You know, the world is quite happy for us to kind of confine Christianity to, to private situations. Actually, it's also for the public sphere. It's also for the public square. And that means, too, that, that Christians are not to compartmentalise our lives into Sunday and then Monday. It's all of life, this wisdom. And what does Lady Wisdom cry out? Verse 23, if you had responded to my rebuke, the original word there is to repent. If you had repented when you heard my rebuke. Verse 24, she says she expects us to listen to her. Verse 25, she has advice, she has a rebuke. And those two words come up again in 29 and 30. And I think, especially in our culture today, all of that sounds terribly constraining and negative, doesn't it? You know, it doesn't really do to be certain. It doesn't do to be too sure about things. It's, it's just your opinion, but of course, there are other ways of looking at things. You know, Lady Wisdom's view doesn't really fit with that way of looking at the world. What does repent mean? It means turn. It's like the sat-nav when you're supposed to be going north on the M1 and you're in fact going south. And it says over and over again, make a U-turn, make a U-turn. And it keeps showing you the route that you need to take as you go on. Come off at the next junction, go round the roundabout, start going the other way. But when you ignore that and carry on, it just keeps doing it, doesn't it? It just keeps on telling you, make a U-turn, you are going the wrong way until... You listen and obey. That is what repent means. I heard someone quoted in the, in the press this week saying this. When church leaders are delivering what would be seen as a challenging message, it's important to deliver it in a way which says, oh, this is what I believe to be the case. However, you as individuals should be free to challenge that or reject it entirely. What do you make of that? I think it goes down really well in the culture, doesn't it? You know, this Christianity thing, if it works for you, great. But, you know, take it or leave it. It's your call. Now, of course, um, church leaders and any Christian really can abuse their position and use it as a way of controlling people to do what they want. 
And when they do that, they're going way beyond the Bible. A church leader's job, my job, is to explain and proclaim what the Bible is saying. Nothing more, nothing less. And as long as we're doing that, we're not free to take it or leave it, are we? We're, I'm not free as a preacher to decide whether or not to say it. Each of us as listeners is uh, not free to choose whether we want to, to listen and obey. And it's easy when we're sharing the gospel to leave out what feels like the hard message, the, the, the word repent that uh, Lady Wisdom calls out here. It's easy to kind of think, no, I'm going I'm to kind of stick to the positives. But she doesn't hold back, does she? Have a look. Uh, verse 26, disaster is coming. Calamity is going to overtake you. And when it comes, it will be too late. And we think, oh, that's, that's a bit strong. Do you, know, do you need to put it quite like that? But uh, here's the thing, you see. If you see a child playing in the road and there's a car coming, is it loving or unloving to think, well, you know, I don't really want to spoil their fun. I don't want to ruin their day with a hard message about cars and things. You know, they're having a great time. I'm just going to leave them to it. Is that loving or unloving? It's pretty clearly unloving, isn't it? If you believe disaster is coming, it is unloving not to warn people. Now, of course, that disaster can take many forms. It can be the final judgment of God. It can be the, the painful consequences of our sin in this life, like the YouTubers and all that. It, 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 actually, it may be neither of those things in the short term. It may even be apparent success and flourishing so that the person ends up saying, well, actually, I'm, I'm doing perfectly well without God, thanks very much. All is well. I've got a lovely family, I've got great health, a good job, I don't really need God. But as far as Proverbs is concerned, that's not success. That's utter disaster. Because it's taking you away from the way, from the, the way of wisdom, from walking with God. It's utter disaster. And so we need to warn one another, like Lady Wisdom does here. Of course, when it's one human being to another, it's always to be done in the spirit of being in this together. You know, it's not just you who faces calamity if you don't repent. It's me as well. We're all under the same sentence. But you can see in these verses that these apparently constraining commands to repent and to listen and do what wisdom says, they're not words of death. But they're words of life, they're words of grace. Just like the father um, kind of getting alongside his son is not doing that to bring death, but to bring life. Because when we listen to what wisdom says, look what is offered. Back in verse 9, these words will be a garland of grace to your head and a chain to adorn your neck. Verse 23, when we listen we will get more wisdom. We will grow in it. And then at the end of the reading, verse 33, when we listen, we will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. See, this is a word of grace. This is saying, look, if you want life as it's meant to be lived, listen to wisdom. Do we believe this for ourselves? See, much of wisdom is about seeing beyond two horizons in our lives. 
There's the, 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 the horizon of the kind of material, the, the, beyond the sky, if you like, not, not literally, but seeing beyond this world to the God who lies beyond it, behind it, the God who made us. That, just seeing that there is a God, rather than just assuming that we're self-made people free to do what we want. So that is one horizon we need to see beyond. And the other horizon is seeing just beyond the immediate, the here and now. Seeing that the long-term matters more than the short-term. Seeing that actions have consequences in the future. Because, you know, you can have the pleasures of the world right now if you want them. You can, you can join the crowd You say, you know, hey, you, you, know, you Christians, you're idiots. Come and join us and enjoy life while we have it. Come and have freedom. Or you can say, actually, no, but that is the way to disaster. And you can instead embrace wisdom's way. Turn from sin, repent, listen to her call. And what you will find then is real life as it's meant to be lived. Real freedom. Rest. That's what Jesus called it in the second reading from Matthew, isn't it? He said that his burden is light. Come to him and find real rest. Life as it's meant to be lived. Think too of his words in Mark chapter 8. Um, what profited a person to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? See, the one who wants to save their life, he says, will lose it. But the one who loses it for me in the gospel will save it. See, Jesus came and lived the wise life that we have not lived. He died the death that we deserve for our sin, for those times when we've chosen the easy way, when we've chosen to go with the crowd. He died for that, and he calls us now to trust in him, to listen to him, to walk with him on the path of wisdom. And it's not always easy. It involves giving up our lives, giving up our rights to be self-determined people. But it is, in the end, the way to real freedom, to real life. Let's pause and reflect for a moment, and then I'll lead us in a prayer. Father, I pray that wherever we stand with you, that you'd help us to reflect both on what the world seems to be offering us, to, to see it for what it is, to realise that those promises of apparent freedom end in disaster. And to hear the promise that wisdom holds out in Jesus. That when, we, that when we listen, when we turn back to you, we will find life as it's meant to be lived. Real freedom in relationship with you. Give us the, the eyes, give us the discernment, the wisdom to see in our daily lives, day by day. 
which things are taking us towards you, which things are taking us away from you, so that we may choose the way of wisdom and find the freedom that you offer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's um, sing these final songs, which point us to the promises of God's word from the breaking of the dawn.